God. But God cares about you, and he's not going to let you go until he's done with you. The Lord's voice cries unto the city. He cries, in the, in the New Testament we have the verse in John's Gospel, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves mankind. He made mankind for Himself. He gives His message and His love to all. But not all except not all will receive. It's the same thing here. He speaks to everyone in the city, but not everyone listens. Not everyone receives. In the New Testament, for God so loved the world, all mankind, that whosoever, those individuals that believe in Him should not perish. Same thing we have here. The Lord's voice cries unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. This man of wisdom, where does a man get wisdom? You look at other portions of Scripture, you'll see that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is not knowledge. You can know about God. You can read all kinds of theological books. You can read the Bible and memorize it forwards and backwards. But you cannot know God unless, unless God reveals Himself to you. It says here that the man of wisdom shall see thy name. What name is he talking about? Is he talking about Jehovah? Yes, he is talking about Jehovah, but but it's more than that. Let's go to first let's turn to Matthew chapter twenty three. Matthew twenty three. <coughs> Verses 37 30 to 39 Jesus said unto him <coughs> Yeah, that's right. Matthew 23 that's the wrong chapter. Matthew 23 37 to 39 Jesus is <coughs> coming into Jerusalem for the last time. He comes to the crest of the hill as he's walking towards Jerusalem and he looks down onto all the city. The Lord cries unto the city. He looks down upon the whole city and Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which were sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings? And you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth until you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus is talking about exactly what we just read back there in in Micah chapter 6, verse 9. He's saying that I will speak to the city, but only the wise man. Only the wise man shall see thy name. And what name is it that he sees? They called the name of Jesus when he was born. The angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. It is how it's written in our Gospels. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus is the Greek, because the New Testament... I've been electrocuted. (laughs) What was that? The name Jesus is Greek. In the Hebrew, his name would have been Yahshua. We would say Joshua. It's the same Joshua that we have in the Old Testament. But in the Hebrew, what we have is two words here. We have Yah, which is an abbreviation for the Lord. Yahovah. Yah is a is an abbreviation for the whole word Lord Yahovah. But then we have a second word, Shua. So his name, Jesus, was to be called. And this is what they called him when he was a little kid and, and the kids would play with him or when he grew up and people would call out, Yahshua, will you come to my house? Nicodemus says, will you come to my house? And he says, for I'm going to your house today. And they would have sat there at the table eating and they would have called him as he sat on the other side of the table, Yahshua. So what does that mean in Hebrew? The name Yahshua means the self-existent one who's always existed and reveals himself to those that are his and saves, Shua, and saves them from their sins. His name the wise man sees and shall see thy name. They that would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as their Redeemer, would see His name and know that this is not just a name. This is who He is. I thought about this this morning. We were breaking the bread. We were thinking of the Lord dying on the cross. Many of the references were to Him dying on the cross. You remember when Jesus died on the cross... They, they put a title over top of his head. And the title that the Romans put up there, written by Pontius Pilate, says, King of the Jews. And the Jews came to Pontius Pilate and said, you've got to change that. Take it down. Change it. Say, he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pontius Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Go away. So what was over his head? What what do we have here? Jesus, Yahshua, the King of the Jews. As he's dying on the cross, all the people there know who he was. This is Jesus. This is the one that 
Everyone had been watching and following and seeing him do miracles and hearing his words. And there were some wise men that knew that he was the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, who always was and reveals himself to those that he will save from their sins. And how would he do that? What day was he crucified on? You remember? He was crucified on the day that the Passover lamb would be slain. And all the Jews knew that the Passover lamb was a representation that God gave to Moses when they were in the land of Egypt. And all the households that obeyed God and slew the lamb and put the blood on the sideposts and the lentils, the death angel would pass over. And all those that didn't would perish. What we have in front of us is Yahshua, the king of the Jews, dying on Passover day to save them from their sins so they would not perish. No. When I lay it out like that, we would look at it and say, of course, how could anyone miss it? But the whole city was there. The whole city was there. And what did they cry out? Crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. They couldn't see. And why couldn't they see? It was there as plain as day, plain as the nose on their face. It was written out over his head. And yet they could not see it because God only reveals to those that he calls to himself. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44 and 45. Jesus is talking to the people. Jesus is going to reveal something to them which is a direct reference to what we're seeing here. Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 6, 44, He says, No man can come to Me except the Father which has sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they, they, those wise men, the men that would see the name and know that it was God. And they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of my Father comes unto me. So, how does a man see Jesus hanging on the cross and know that this is the Redeemer? This is the Messiah? This is the Son of God? This is Yahshua. How can they see? Because the Father draws them to the Son. Same way that we become believers today. Everyone in this room is a sinner. Everyone is doomed 
because of a life that we live and the things that we have done, we have not been perfect before God. And yet, there are those that God calls out of this world. He puts some question in your mind. Just like Micah. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to please God? Do I, do I give rivers of oil? Do I, do I give a thousand cattle slain and the blood of a thousand goats and bulls? Do I give the, my firstborn son? God says, no. No. Do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Next passage I want you to turn to is over in John's Gospel, chapter 8. I call them these three chapters, the 44s. We can turn over to chapter 8, it's actually 42 and 43. Here again, Jesus says unto them, If God were your Father, He's speaking to those that are challenging Jesus. They're saying, Moses is our our Father. We know who He is. We don't know who you... He says, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my words? He's saying it straight up. God sent me to you to save you. But they can't hear. They can't see. We go over another couple chapters to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 44. Again, Jesus Christ, He that believeth on Me, believeth not on Me, but on Him that sent Me. And he that seeth Me, sees Him that sent Me. So we go back over here, and you look at verse 9. Go back to Micah chapter 6, verse 9. And Let's look at the last part of this verse. First we'll read the whole verse in its context. The Lord's voice cries unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. And then there's a, a semicolon there, because this is a it could be a new sentence, but God wants it to be tied to the beginning of this. And he says, Hear ye the rod. And who hath appointed it? This this takes a little bit of of investigation on your part. When this is all one thought that God is giving through the writings of Micah here in chapter six, and he says, right after he says, They shall see thy name, Yahovah Shua, then he says, Hear ye the rod, without even skipping a beat, as if who is he talking about? Hear the one that I will send. The rod. So, in order to understand that, we have to turn back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 talks about this one that God calls the rod. Isaiah 11, 
verse 1. This is a prophecy given by Isaiah. And he says this, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Who is this rod? It tells us right here. There shall come forth a rod. Now in the Hebrew, this is interesting. The Hebrew word for rod, if that's translated in our English, is the word netzer. You can go and do your concordance. If you look at the Hebrew words, the word netzer, it means rod or, or this this trunk that brings the life from the plant. In the New Testament, there is a prophecy which is given, which some people say is not ever recorded in the Old Testament. It says this, And he shall be called a Nazarene. Many of you have heard that. You can look all through the Old Testament. Nowhere is there a prophecy that explicitly says that Jesus shall be called a Nazarene. But if you understand that, that Greek translation and you put that back in English, the word... He shall be called a netzer. He shall be called the rod, the root that comes from the stem of Jesse. This is what that prophecy is. He shall be called the rod. So we go back to Micah chapter 6, and what does it say? It says, The man of wisdom shall see thy name. Listen to the rod. Listen to what Jesus says. That's why I read you those three passages from John's Gospel. Chapter 6, chapter 8, and chapter 12. What does Jesus say over and over and over again? I didn't come here of my own. My Father sent me. And those that hear me, and those that see me, and those that know and understand what my name is, they understand because the Father hath given it to you. Listen ye to the rod. And who hath appointed it? Who appointed the rod? The Father. That's exactly what Jesus says in those three passages that we read in John. The one who sent the Son is the Father. The one who appointed him to leave the glory of the throne on high and come down here as a descendant, as a, a seed that would come out of the lineage of David, the rod. 
would die for us on a cross in Calvary in Jerusalem with a title over his head the king of the Jews and his name says that he would die for our sins verse 10 There are yet the treasures. Are there yet the treasures of the wickedness in the house of the wicked? And the scant measures that are is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouths. Therefore also I will make thee sick in smiting thee and making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat but not be satisfied thou and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee and thou shalt take hold but shall not deliver and that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil and thou shalt tread the sweet wine but thou shalt not drink wine now we read this and we say God here is talking to the people that would not see the coming netzer that would not see the rod that would not understand the meaning of the name of God they would not see the messiah We would say these are those that are destined to the lake of fire. These are wicked men that will not accept what God has shown them and put into their ears, but they cannot perceive. I look down through this list and I read this list. I say, well, let's see. The rich men are full of violence. Okay, I can check that one off. I'm not a violent man. I don't beat people up. And I read the next one, the inhabitants that are of us spoken lies. Well, we might say, well, we're, we're good people. We don't speak lies. This is not the way we deal with each other. And we might say, the tongue is full of deceitfulness. Uh, we might check these boxes. No, that's not me. No, that's not me. No, that's not me. But look at verse 10. Go back to verse 10. I, I want you to think about this, what is written in the last part of verse 10. And the scant measure. This is a this is unique in the scriptures. What is a scant measure that God has referenced here? What is so horrible? What is this scant measure? Scant. If I were to pick out an, uh, a good word that people would understand, I would say. A scant thing is a teensy-weensy thing. It's a little tiny thing that is hardly, if at all, noticeable. There was a man who developed a computer program where he worked for one of the major banks, and what he did was all the, the monies, the interest that was to go out to people there usually was a little tiny bit left over at the end 
And since it was less than a penny, it would be rounded down to zero. But what happened to that money? Where did it go? Well, he wrote the program so that all the teensy-weensy bits of money from all the accounts in this major bank were put into his account. And he... He took the scant bits of money that amounted to millions unto himself. He was stealing. And this went on for I don't know how many years, decades maybe. Nobody could ever figure out, oh, who would know something, a penny out of a, a person's, your, your checking book. Okay? Not even a penny. The pennies were right. But, but what about the tenth of a penny that was there, but you never collected it? Who collected it? He did. And so what he was doing is he was developing the scant measure. He was stealing from people, stealing from God, things that no one... It was so small, so teensy-weensy, that nobody detected it. But God detects it. And so God writes it here in this verse 10. And the scant measure that is abominable. For us, for you and me. I have often thought about this in in the way I live my life. And the way we should all live our lives one with another. Every part of our life, we should do the very best that we can. You're working at a, at, at a, at my wife worked at the Dairy Queen. The man probably was not a good boss. He was not a good owner. He had only my wife work there. You know what it's like working at the Dairy Queen on July the 4th on a hot 88 degree day? I used to go pick up Carol Cow. She looked like, you know how they, they would like spray paint all over people? She was sprayed with ice cream and chocolate and cherry and, I mean, she just worked like, and there would be a line of people out the door waiting for their ice cream and she would go as fast as she could. When you work for a man, good master or bad master, this is exactly what it says in the New Testament. We are, our ultimate master is God. He is the one that sees the teensy-weensy efforts that we reserve unto ourselves. I'm not going to work right up till four o'clock Come on now. I'm going to quit a little bit early. I really gave him a good day today, so I'm going to quit a little early. And then that's my dessert. Is it? Does the man stop paying you at 350 and take 10 minutes worth out of your paycheck? Or does he pay you for the full eight hours? We owe men that which God has told us we are to do. We are not to have scant measures in our lives. 
And it's not just about money. You're a student in, in school and, and you say, hell man, I want to go out and play. Look, this is a nice day. We're playing, you know, we've got a, a bunch of us are going to get together. We're going to have a nice ball game. But you know that you have homework. So what do you do? You rush the homework a little bit, kind of like throw down that last paragraph, that last sentence, and shoot out the door. You are robbing the opportunities that God gave you to study and the responsibility to study. You should study as hard as you can to the best of your ability that He has given you. Whether it's in academics, whether it's in study, whether it's cleaning a toilet bowl out. Oh, come on now, I'm cleaning a toilet bowl out. There's one little speck down the bottom. No one will ever know. God does. So when you do things, anything in your life, and this has to do with our dealings with each other too. It brings a person across your life and and you have to deal with that person. You say, well that guy is so hard to get along with. He is so prickly. He's like a prickly pear. I'm just not going to go out of my way to We make decisions. We have scant measures. So, when you think about this, as a believer, and I'm only speaking to believers now, the other ones you can hear, but this is, I'm speaking, he is speaking directly to believers in this. You believers, no matter what it is in your life that God has asked you to do, or to manage, or to to give, you make sure that you give the full measure of what He gives you the ability or the opportunity to do. And don't shortchange one teensy-weensy bit in anything. The scant measure, that is abominable. That's what God said. Well, that's pretty serious. That is. But that's what God says. We come over to verse 16. It says, For the statutes of Omni are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation and the inhabitants thereof and hissing. If you go back and you study the Old Testament, you study these two evil kings of the northern ten tribes. Omri was the one that started. He was the first one that made Samaria. And what he did was, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to use religion to control men. I'm going to set up my own altars. I'm going to set up my own priesthood. I'm going to set up my own sacrifices. Not down in Jerusalem. Not, not, not the sons of Levi. I'm going to set up mine and I'm going to set it up so that I control the people. I control the masses through religion. That is the statutes of Omri. Later on, 
a descendant of his, a man by the name of Ahab would come along. And if you go back and you look at what Ahab did, what did he do? He says, I want that man's field. I want Nabal's field. And he won't sell it to me. And his wife says to him, she was a real sweetheart, all you have to do is change the law and get some people to witness against him and they will use the court system to say, you blasphemed against God, therefore you are to be killed. And they killed him. And when he was dead, they took his field. And so, the works of Ahab is to use law and power to control men. And so what is God saying here in this little first part of verse 16? He's saying, don't use religion to control men. Don't use the law and your power to control men. For God hates it. The last part of 16 is really unique. Look, everybody, I want you to look in your Bibles at this verse 16, because it's, it's almost as if it shouldn't be part of 16. It should be another verse. For the statutes of Omni are kept in all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof a hissing. Period. That's what I would put, but that's not what God does. He says, Therefore, ye shall bear the reproach of my people. After pronouncing this horrible thing that God is going to do to the people that reject Him, the people that that abuse what He has given them, the people that steal, the people that are wicked, the people that hate and don't know the name of God. Therefore, you, who's the you and ye in this part? It's Micah. It's not the evil people that are going to die. He says, because I am going to slay these people for their evil and their wickedness and their rebellion. Therefore, because I am going to do this, you, Micah, shall bear the reproach of my people. Why does God put that in here? In here, we have, if you're believers, we have elders. Elders are given a responsibility by God to take care of His flock, my people. In here, we have husbands. and fathers husbands and fathers are given a responsibility for God to take care of their wives and their children we have mothers God has given mothers the responsibility and and the job to take care of raising up their children in the fear of the Lord and for praying and helping their husbands become what God wants them to be. What we have here, it's interesting, because 
if I read it this way, therefore, ye, you, but instead of just putting you, who is he talking to? He's talking to Micah. So I'm going to read it this way. Therefore, ye, Micah, shall bear the reproach of my people. That's what it means. But then what does the word Micah mean? This is again the clue. What does the word Micah in the Hebrew mean? It means, who is like Jehovah? That's the way I always thought of this. When, when, I, when I look at Micah, I look at the word Micah, and, and I have in my Bible on the front, I have a little, you know, three lines, meaning this is what it really means. Micah means, who is like Jehovah? And, and I always thought of this as a, as a question. And that's a good way to think about it. Who is like God? Who's like Jehovah? There is no one like Jehovah. What if instead of reading it as a question, we read it as a statement? Now, it's not you who is like Jehovah. You. You, man, who is an elder. You, man, who is a father or a husband. You, woman, who is a wife or a daughter of God. (coughs) You are like Jehovah. If you turn with me back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Before men existed. Before God created Adam. We have this verse that is given to us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God is talking to himself. The word that is used is not Jehovah here. The word that is used, and God said, if you go to the Hebrew, you would see that this is the word Elohim. Elohim. The one who has the power to make a covenant, a promise. And will keep it. But it's plural. I am in the Hebrew makes it plural. So it is the Godhead speaking to itself. It's God the Father talking to God the Son and to the Holy Ghost and they concur. We, it says, God said, let us, plural, because that's what it is. This is the Godhead talking to itself. God the Godhead says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is what is happening over here when we read this verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 16, and we use the word instead of an interrogative, instead of a question, which says, You, Micah, you who is like God. Because Micah 
was a believer and God was going to make him in his image after his likeness. And Micah here in this verse is saying to Micah, God is saying to Micah, you have to be like me. You have to be after my image. And my image is to bear the reproach of my people. It's what Jesus did at the cross. He is making us in His image through His death. He gave us His life. He has transformed sinful human beings into living human beings made in the likeness of God. In His image. Sinless. Eternal. Knowing the grace of God and loving mercy. Doing always the will of the Father. Never scant in anything. God is talking to Micah here. In the New Testament we have another illustration. I love this one too. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul, writing this to his old prison mates and the jailkeeper. People don't realize that, but remember, Paul spent time in prison and then there was this great earthquake and the prisoner took Paul out and took him to his house and there was a church founded that night in Philippi and Paul is writing this letter back to those people that he has left behind and he is telling them what is the most important thing in my life what trumps what is, what is more important than anything else and this is what he says in verse 10 that I may know him speaking about Yahovah Shua that I may know Jesus that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That word conformable is, it means like you take a mold and you put clay in the middle of the mold and you put that clay mold over top of the clay and you take that vice and you just screw those screws and it gets tighter and tighter and squeezes the clay into the image that is in the mold until it is the same. That's what Paul is saying here. This is my goal in life. My goal in life is first to to know the one that died for me and gave me life and then to understand his sufferings for me as he takes me through the sufferings of my own life. These are illustrations that help me understand how much he loved me. And finally, he is going to take me and eliminate the human frailties of sin and self-desire and lying and all the things that so easily beset us. He is going to crush us into His mold. I am going to be made into His image. It's what He says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. 
It's what he's saying here, I believe, in chapter 6, verse 19, when he says, Therefore you, Micah, you who is like Jehovah, you shall bear the reproach of my people. You elders, weep for your sheep in the middle of the night. When the Lord wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, know that it is a gift from God. In your mind, go over all of the sheep that He has placed under your control, under your, your tutelage, under your opportunities. Pray for them one at a time and weep for those that have gone astray. You husbands, pray for your children. Pray for your wife, the beloved one that God has given you to be your helpmate, to be one with you. Pray for her that that God would make her all that she could possibly be, all that God wanted her to be from before the foundations of the world. Pour your heart out. Get on your knees and pray for your children. God, please, protect them. What What did Job do? He got up every morning and he offered sacrifice for his children because they may have sinned not knowing it. You as husbands. And the image of Christ, this is what He did for you and for me and for those that were His and we are to be in His image. You women, pray that God would work in your husband's life. That He would make him just like Christ. What does it say? And Christ gave His life for His bride. He loved her even unto death. Pray that your husband would be like Christ in all its being. And pray for your children that they would not go astray. Train them up in the way that the Lord wants you to train them up so that they will not depart when they grow up. Pray for them until the day you die. This is what I believe he is saying. Therefore you, Micah, shall bear the reproach of my people because you are in my image. I'll tell you what. The Old Testament prophecies are so pregnant with the thoughts of God that he has for us. So rich is His Word. It's unfathomable. If you're willing to dig, you can never get to the bottom. You will get more and more of the knowledge of God and what He wants for you. And that's what He's saying here in this end of chapter 6 in Micah. He's saying that to Micah. You were made in My image. Walk in it. And what does it say at the end of verse 8? And to walk humbly with your God. 
Thank you, Father, for this day, for this book of Micah. Thank you for the entire Word of God, for it has revealed to us things that could not be known except God reveals them to those that He calls unto Himself. I pray for everyone in this room, and I pray for everyone that that their lives may come across, that they might be witnesses, that they might bear the image of Christ in their life and in their words and in their thoughts and in their heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.